Loaded Does he sit second, man? No, I don't I think he does. I think Kevin Keegan probably sits second. <laughs> oh God, what a scandal. Austin Eckler versus the cards. Go and fuck the lot of you. <laughs> I think Tom Naylor's going to be the nailed on holder midfielder, so it's just who goes. Unbelievable. Not even realised this said it. Hello, and welcome to episode 65 of Loaded Sport. Yet another week has come and gone. And there is plenty to be talking about tonight. We're going to get straight into it. We have got a full squad. Some people, after last week's fiery encounters, have got some bones to pick, I'm sure. Um, but first of all, we are going to play another game of Loyal Man. And we're going to start... Or actually, we're going to wait till the end because I've no doubt he's got a question on how to play it. So uh, we'll, we'll save him till the end so he can ask that question because Aggie will only get mad when other people that haven't been introduced start explaining the rules. So, Aggie, we will start with you, mate. First of all, how are you this week? And second of all, what headband have you got on? Uh, just a regular black Alice band. Um, but yeah, mate, I'm good, thank you. Yeah, it's been uh, quite an eventful weekend. Start to the week, nice little bank holiday week to kick things off as well. So yeah, I've enjoyed it, thanks. How's yours? Yeah, good, mate, good, mate. You were, uh, as we said at the end of last week, you were in London this weekend. Mm-hmm. How was uh, how was your overall experience? Oh, mate, it was incredible. Walking down Wembley Way, um, I think the only issue I had, and Sam, you're going to laugh at this immediately, is when we were stood outside Wembley waiting to go in, I saw the escalators right beside the window. And, of course, we were up in the nosebleeds, and I thought, I'm not doing oh, this. Fuck's so sake. as soon as we got in, I went straight towards the lift, and the lad that was with me, Liam, who's been a guest on the podcast before for the listener lock-in, walked with me and told the bloke, the security guy, that I had a phobia of... Um, of escalators, so I had to go up the lift. <laughs> Mate, you're a fucking joke among every set of friends group that you're in. You are the joke. <laughs> God bless you. God bless you, indeed. Sorry, I asked you how, how your weekend were, but you chose to share that information, so that's on you. Um, Sam, the people know that you're in. They'll be very happy to know that. How are you, my friend, this week? And um, have you got some spicy, uh, some spicy subjects to go head to head with with Kemp? Well, uh, always, we've always got them bullets locked and loaded, aren't we? That you, uh, you hand people the bullets to fire. We uh, <laughs> keeping your hands clear as always. Sixty-five episodes. When you said that yes, earlier, I thought, "Fuck hell, that sounds bizarre." But here we are, still at it, still, uh, still plugging away. And yeah, I'm, uh, I'm ready, mate. I'm ready. Feel refreshed after nice bank holiday weekend. Oh, love to hear it, love to hear it. And the man that I spent this past weekend with, um, who uh, tried to ask us a question on how, how low a man works, for anyone that watched last week or saw the clip going around on YouTube, bless the poor man, no matter what, he can't grasp it. And uh, he's already tried before we hit record to to clear up the rules. And I said, no chance that he, he's asking that question uh, while we're not recording. So, Kem, how are you, mate? How was your weekend? And uh, what have you got to ask us to open the show? Well, Mr. Dawson, Mr. White, man with the mic. Um, yeah, it's just I, I can't I can't quite get my head around the, the the format, the process. It just yeah, it, it spins me head a bit. I'm thinking it's player, club, and then another player for that club, and then the club that that player played for, and then so on and so forth. Yeah, right. You're nodding your head, so I'll take that. That's good enough for me. But yeah, no, good. Thank you. I had a good weekend. Uh, best bit about it were we're seeing Aggie pitching up in London. Bless him. I can't quite picture him out of his environment, so uh, seeing him in London was a nice little change of pace. Still didn't fucking say all that, but you know it was nice to see him. You've um, uh, you've watched the uh, the Clarkson's farm, haven't you? Yeah, 
Jerry. I'm picturing Aggie in London's like when Caleb leaves, <laughs> leaves the countryside. <laughs> <laughs> it's like looking yeah. at the big city, yeah. scared. Very good. Really? It's very, it's very good. It's very good. Yeah. And when we uh, we bumped into him while he was queuing up to get into Wembley, and uh, we sort of me and Dawson sort of mobbed him, and his mates sort of looked around to sort of think, "What the <laughs> fuck is that going on?" But yeah, no, it's very, very good. And as as Dawson's mentioned, we had a good weekend. Um, almost too smooth, but uh, but there you go. We won't ruin it. Carry on. There was there was no almost too smooth about it. It was too smooth. Just that from you picking me up to us getting home, it was just you, you could not have planned for it to be uh, to have been any better. So part of breeze. us was thinking absolutely yeah, breeze. We thought at some point something was going to go wrong, but that's the even that's when I was dropping it. you off at Tesco in Chesterfield, we were still worried that something might <laughs> potentially go wrong. Yeah, yeah, it's, that's the cynical side of us. But uh, I was just to uh, let you know, when Kemp, you did try to ask me uh, before we hit record, but I'll just tell you now, I'm wearing tonight Ajax's away shirt for this season. Uh, that's my choice for tonight. It's a lovely little number. I don't know if you can see the detail on the shirt. It's got some sort of red and green sort of, I can't remember. It's not coming through. It is, uh, it's just it's it, wine. Some some lovely detail, it, as is, always. Is it, it's probably the, uh, is it the like the three little birds theme that they've got? No, it's like um, it's like DNA or something. I think I don't know. It's hard for me to explain, but uh, lovely shit as as always with Ajax, and uh, we'll see what I bring next week. But loyal man, so yes, Kemp, you are right. We are going to start the show with another game of this, and hopefully you'll get it. So uh, spun the wheel earlier. The order is Aggie, then me, then Sam, then Kemp. So Aggie will give us a player um, of his choice, past or present. I will then give you a club that that player has played for. Sam will then give us a play. It has to be a different player that has played for that club. And then, Kemp, you will give us a club that the player that Sam gave us played for, but it has to be a different club from the one that I said just before. And then Aggie, and we'll go round until someone can't remember. And as Sam mentioned last week, that written rule or unwritten rule is you can fake it. You can fake a club or a player if you're not sure, and then you can call bullshit. Sam, one thing I do want to clear up with you, is it for the player that comes next to call bullshit or can anyone call bullshit? Anyone. <clears throat> Anyone. Okay, that's fair. So, Aggie, give us the player, mate, and then hopefully I'll have a club. Uh, the player is Shay Given. Shay Given. I'll go Newcastle. Alan Shearer. Uh, Blackburn Rovers. Craig Bellamy. Manchester City. Sergio Aguero. Atletico Madrid. Antoine Griezmann. Barcelona. Felipe Coutinho. Liverpool. Um, John Arnarisa. Ooh. Celtic. Sinshuk Nakamura. Nah, you said it wrong. You can't have that. Bullshit. Nakamura, you, you do have you it. Said, you said Atletico Madrid when it's Atletico yeah. Madrid. Yeah. Two fucking words. Nakamura. Shinsuke Nakamura. Uh, Yokohama FC. <laughs> Bullshit. <laughs> what? What do you I mean? Just wanna, I just want to say, I have no idea if we can play for Celtic. I just winged that, so I got away with that one. Nice. He did. Nice. No, he did. I'm pretty did sure he did. actually. No chance. I've called bullshit on that. Wait, what are you calling bullshit on mine or his? His his is already gone. You can't call it once it's already gone. We've already carried on, but I'm calling it on yours. Right, let me do Hang on. Oh, it's come up with wrestler. Hang on. (laughs) (laughs) No, he didn't play for Celtic. I have to go and win that. 
Oh, you have to be fair. Fulham, on, let me he? just. Yeah, he played for Fulham and Roma. Also oh! played for Fulham. Hang on, hang on, hang on. Ah! <laughs> is he? Is he? Is is <laughs> I fucking love it. Shinsuke Nakamura, Yokohama FC, 2019 to 2022. Oh, wow. Hey, hey. wow. Bravo. Wow. Bravo. I think that I means I'll lose that. I think that. we'd end it on that. Yeah. Uh, to be fair, mate, I was hoping to claim it with uh, pulling off the bullshit, but we've got to give Kemp the win for uh, pulling <laughs> yeah, that one out of the bag. So, quality. Uh, I'm happy to yeah. lose that one. Yeah, me too. Kemp, you win this, mate. I'll tell you what, what a recovery after last week, mate. Full credit to you. I- I'd say we'll play again, but Part of me thinks been it after that because <laughs> <laughs> elephant man, elephant man. That's it. I go out on a high, but we'll be back to start episode sixty six. Actually, no, we won't. Cause that will be little spoiler alert early next week. The release of the NFL season preview, and um, so that will be episode sixty six. So we'll put loyal man, leave it, leave it a rest. Loyal man, week. NFL style. Yeah. Oh, fuck you. yeah. <laughs> Let's do it. That'll be interesting. That'll be interesting. We'll have to have about eight goes at it, but <laughs> we'll just keep stumbling. But yes, Sam, you're absolutely right. Episode 66, we'll do an NFL style version of Loyal Man. But anyway, that's episode 66. That's early next week. Next week, again, we are back with two episodes. Usual episode for episode 67 and episode 66. Just before that will be the NFL season preview. Cannot wait for that. But to start us this week, Sam, I'm going to come to you to kick off the football section because you sent over a few subjects. We were obviously in London this past weekend, so didn't catch up on all of the action that was going off. You had eyes on the telly and, and what was going off. And the question I want to start off is on Everton. So they were a club that towards the end of last season we spoke about quite a bit. With the, They were struggling for a to survive in relegation um, they will get away from relegation um, they brought Sean Dash in who was a name we would discuss before it was announced and then we obviously discussed the last few games what he could do and they eventually survived on the last day but they have they've started this season three games no goals scored six goals conceded sit bottom currently of the Premier League and they look like they're struggling so yeah, A why do you think that is and B if it continues how long do you think Sean Dash has got I don't think they've got a striker. Dominic Calvert-Lewin can't seem to stay fit. Um, I watched a couple of that, quite a lot of the highlights against Wolves. Say it were 1-0. They had quite a lot of chances. I will, I will say that. I think they created about 23 chances. But the fact that they've not scored a single goal, for me, I'm if I'm an Everton fan, which I know obviously we've got a, a friend that is and he's quite dramatic on his on his takes normally, Jake. Um, I'm worrying after three games. And, and I know this is contradicted to what Kemp said last week about, you know, it's, it's still early in the season, everyone calm down. However, I think when it comes to Everton, it, it, this, this case is slightly different because they haven't scored a single goal. You look at the teams that they have played, they've lost to Fulham at home. They got tanked 4-0 by Villa. And then they lost to Wolves at home. Three games that they'd have earmarked at the start of the season thinking... You know, we could well start the season here with nine points and get off to a good start. They've lost all three games to teams that are going to be, it maybe not Villa so much, but in and around them. You know, Fulham, I know they had a strong, strong um, season last season, but with um, with what's his name up front gone to gone to Saudi, um, Mitrovic. Mitrovic. I, yeah, I can't uh, I can't see them doing as well as they did last year. So they're all sort of teams there that, especially Wolves. We were all predicting Wolves to have a really. Tough time this year, and to be fair to them, they've started off well. So, yeah, if I'm an Everton fan, I'm I'm worried at the minute. Yeah, absolutely. And I guess I suppose we'll come to you next because you are, of course, the the head of Mister 
Sean Dyche fan club, I think, as last time I checked, you were the admin on the on the Facebook page. But we all know his management style. You were such a huge fan of him and the work that he did at Burnley. You know, with the limits in terms of the the ability to spend money, I suppose. Where do you think they're struggling? We we all know what he's about. We all know what he expects of his team. Yes, granted, he did a really good job to just about getting them to survive last season, but. Again, like Kemp said last week, we're only two, three games in, but where, where are they going wrong at the minute and what do they need to do to turn that around? It's just creating them chances. Sam's already said it. They haven't got a striker or didn't until a couple of days ago when they just signed um, better, I think it is, from Udinese. They've just signed a new striker, haven't they? So hopefully that'll get the ball rolling for him a little bit. But I think the way Sean Dyche has always set up is defence first, isn't it? He builds from the back and he's more about not conceding goals and and just getting a point but some attacks that he's come up against in the Premier League have just been too strong Aston Villa just walked all over them like they weren't even there but even the players that he's been selecting for, for Everton some of those defensive players have just been error prone and it's been allowing sides in I mean Kemp made a joke to me when I had Pickford in my, my dream team and choosing to drop him just before the game against Wolves because they can't they're not very good attacking at all but they still managed to get a 1-0 win against Everton so they'll take that and, and obviously walk away with the three points but for Everton, it's just a case of they're not creating much going forward. Their defence are too nervy, I dare say, maybe, error-prone. And attack-wise, they're just not creating anything. They had Calvert-Lewin, and let's be fair, he spent the majority of his career, despite all the potential that people gave him, all he was hyped up to be, he spent the majority of his career injured. So they've needed a striker for a while, and the strikers that they've been buying, I think, was it last season they had Morpay? San Neil Morpay? I, mean, yeah. I don't think that he's a Premier League standard player. Um, Beto, I don't think he's been scoring that many goals in Serie A, to be fair, either. So they've brought this striker in, hoping that he can adapt quickly to the Premier League. But something, you're right, does need to change quickly. And I think it's just a case of creating more chances. But that's three games that, like Sam's already said, they should have got some very good points on the board. And they're sat there with zero goals and zero points. You say, um, obviously, Sean Dyson's bread and butter is defence and you know making sure everything's um, shored up at the back. The fact that they've lost three games on bounce, they've conceded, they're averaging, they're averaging two goals a game they're conceding. So that's his one thing that he's, 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 you know, his bread and butter, and he's not doing that. So how long do you give him on, on with that current, um, you know, current run of form? Because if that's what he's, if that's what he's there to do, and that's the one thing he's particularly failing at, then surely he's not, he's not doing his job. No, you're right, and I get what you're saying. With they've conceded on average two goals a game, but four of those six goals came in one game, and that could be written off as just a bad game, a bad day. Many teams have that throughout the course of a season. The other two games, they've lost one nil to Fulham and lost one nil to Wolves, and I think against Fulham, I think it were they were rather unlucky not to have got at least a point out of that game. So I think you can't just sack him three games in. I think that would be too much of a knee-jerk decision. Now he's just signed a striker. They've given a little bit of funds to play with to say, now you can start to bring more players in to try and help bolster that squad to at least get us outside of relegation. And now maybe you give him another month, give him till the end of September, beginning of October to just, you know, see what he can do. The transfer window is about to close. He's brought in the players that he wanted, that he said that he was going to bring in. Give him that month now to see what he can do. If it's no good, then you've got to look elsewhere. Um, but if he starts to turn things around, then maybe give him a little bit longer and just see where he can take Everton. But, I like Sean Dyche at Burnley. Skin's absolutely right, but he's been very good at building a team to get into the Premier League. He's he's struggled. I know Burnley got into Europe one year, but then they struggled from there, mainly the depth that they had. But he's struggled since making that move away from Burnley to really adapt to how the game's evolved. And playing defensive all the time is just too negative. And I think that's what's going to let him down because the defensive players that they've got just aren't good enough. And that's where the errors that they keep on seeping is allowing other teams to capitalise, really. 
Yeah, definitely. And I suppose if their struggles continue, they will eventually at some point make a decision on Sean Dyche. I'm not really sure who they bring in to get them out of that because he's the man they brought in to get them out of that kind of situation. Big Sam. Big Sam, get him in. (laughs) Get him back in the league. Get him back in the league. But um, I suppose if if that does continue, a team that could benefit from that, Kemp, I'm going to bring you into this one. It is Sheffield United, a team that so far this season haven't picked up any points, but are looking like they're hard to beat. They've lost every game by only one goal, and that includes this weekend um, hosting Manchester City on Sunday, a game that we watched the first half of. Um, unfortunately, didn't see any of the goals, but then had to sort of go about our usual business in, in London. But uh, look, full credit to them. They, they kept Harlan quiet for the most part. He did have the odd chance here and there, but he seemed to be very frustrated by how he's being treated. City then did go ahead through an Erling Haaland header, and then Sheffield United equalised quite late on, only for Rodri right at the death to put them back ahead. So, Kevin, from your perspective, seeing a team like Everton that are pretty much the bread and butter of the Premier League, they've been there from the start. Does that give you hope that with how Sheffield United are playing and how other teams are struggling, that your bold prediction at the start was Sheffield United survive? And like you said last week, we're only three games in, but you know where do you sit on that at the moment in terms of your confidence? Yeah, I think the the confidence in staying up this season and and albeit not great confidence, but the confidence nonetheless is is not from maybe how good we are or we could potentially be, but it's just the amount of bad teams that seem to be in the Premier League this season. Like you know, we've we've discussed Wolves at length, can't hit a barn door, but did manage to get one past Everton, which is, you know, is what it is. Everton, as you've just discussed, have got real problems themselves. You know, Forest don't hundred percent look settled. You've got Luton that have been pretty much written off by everybody. Bournemouth that struggled last season and, and then got rid of the manager. So there's there's all these, you know, I'd say there's five or six clubs down there at the bottom that could, you know, could be in trouble come the end of the season. And that's kind of where my confidence came from. If we could pick up points against those teams home and away, you know, we're going to do what we can to, to hopefully stay up. And I think the one thing that I've noticed from the games that I've seen so far, and obviously I only saw the highlights from the game against City at the weekend, we look organised. We look really, really solid and really organised at the back. That's not something that you can say for Everton at, the, at this moment in time, as we've just discussed. And I think for, for a, a few other teams in the league at this moment in time as well. The issues that we've been having is at the other end of the pitch. We've been playing Willa Sula, who, bless him, he went on low to Derby County last year in League One and, and barely did anything. So having him playing up front for you every single game in the Premier League, he's just not at that level yet. And it's, you know, it's not good for his development to be chucked up front in the Premier League and, and not getting, you know, a sniff of a sniff of the goal mouth. Um, but I've seen his improve game on game. Now, the first game against Palace, really organised and structured at the back, had absolutely nothing going forward. We wouldn't have scored in a month of Sundays in that game. Forest game, I went to the city ground for my sins. It's not the nicest ground in the world, but I went. Um, and I think we looked dangerous in spells, but again, still quite organised at the back. One, you know, stupid mistake, you know, cost us. Um, and then again, City, again, looked really, really organised. But just that one mistake by LaRussi at left-back, not putting the ball into Rose Ed, and that's why we, you know, City scored at the end of the day. So as long as we can tighten up these little screws, I'm really, really happy with the signing of Archer. I think he's going to be a fantastic signing, and I'm hoping that he can he can develop and score some goals for the Blades. Um, Hamer's a fantastic signing. We're looking at potentially getting McAtee back on loan from Man City as well. So it's all positive signs. It's all positive and it's all moving in the right direction. But like I said to you before, you know, I think the main thing is that how bad are the other teams going to be in order for us to potentially survive? So looking forward to it. And the game that we've got on Saturday, Everton at home. 
and that is a must, must huge win game, huge game, must win game. So I'm really looking forward to that one. So I think it'll hold the record for earliest ever six pointer, won't it? That Sheffield United against Everton, four games in. Or as I said, or as I said a few months ago, a four pointer, big Premier League four pointer. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Sam, I'm going to bring you back into this one. Just uh, a few controversies, if if you will, over this last weekend that you noted. One being um, Arsenal's second goal in their draw against Fulham. Um, and then a couple from the Liverpool and Newcastle game on, on Sunday evening re- regarding bookings and sending off. So why don't you walk us through that sort of your thoughts and, uh, and where we stand? Because it seems like, we're, again, we're three weeks into the Premier League now, but we we. I think we're going to have to have a full-time segment of VAR mishaps and mistakes because it seems to have been another weekend where things that should have happened shouldn't have happened and things that didn't happen should have happened. Yeah, I start with the Arsenal game. I don't know how if VAR is really to fault with the, with this first one. I must admit, but it was just one of them goals that just didn't really sit right with me. Um, so the Fulham strike, the Fulham winger had possession. No, sorry, the Fulham. The Arsenal winger had possession. I think it was Martinelli. I think he had possession on the byline to the left-hand side of the goal. And he gets the defender in an arm lock. And they both go down. He's obviously looking for a penalty. But in reality, he's really fouled the defender. The defender, because he's linked arms with Martinelli, he's landed funny on his, his like armpits outstretched. And it looked like it could have dislocated his shoulder. So he's been down holding his shoulder for a good... Good two minute must be the balls in play, the balls bouncing about. The Fulham are trying to clear it. They finally clear it out, and um, and Arsenal come back and score. He's he's literally probably a yard away from being out near the court, the the byline, so throughout for a corner. So he's playing everybody on side. If he's not there, VAR will rule that goal offside because you know he's obviously he's the one that's playing everyone on side. So it was just one of them goals where. I think the referee probably should have stopped the game because I know this no one's supposed to do that for head injuries, but it was it was a clear foul on the um, on the Fulham defender. So how far back do you want to go with VAR and obviously pull back goals that you know for in the in the build up of play? But yeah, it, it was one of them goals that didn't really sit right. And the weird thing about it, it, it wasn't really spoken about. I watched seen it on match today and they just didn't even seem to mention it. I thought well, that just doesn't really seem right to be fair. But yeah, and then uh, then obviously you've got the. Do you think, just with that one very quickly yeah. before you go on to the Liverpool game, I, I've not seen the incident and you said that you're right, how far back do you go when it comes to VAR? With England, we spoke about it before. France, the first goal, should they have gone back because Saka got injured? Like, similar thing to that. Yeah, similar yeah. thing to that it was. But do you think it's one of those where you mentioned there about, I suppose we're going back to the spirit of the game conversation we had with cricket a little while back, but if Arsenal were, say, 3-4-0 up in that game, would it have been a different outcome, do you think? Is it because it was, what would it have been at the time? 1-1, you know, and they were desperate to get ahead where they were like, we've got to take this opportunity while it's there kind of thing. Yeah, you're probably right there. I think at 3 or 4 nil, no, I think Arsenal are either kicking the ball out or the referee probably will just stop the game and just make sure the player's all right. But yeah, because it was 1-1, like you say, um, I can't remember the exact time of the um, of the Arsenal goal, just having a having a quick look, but I've got a feeling it was late-ish, uh, 70 Two minutes, seventy-two minutes in, and Ketia scored. So yeah, probably probably because of that, because it was so much riding on it. Everyone's kind of kept the ball in play, and uh, and it's and it's come back and it's a bit full. And, but yeah, it, it didn't really sit well with me. Um, but like I say, no one seemed to have mentioned it on match day, which I found were were a bit a bit weird as well. Um, have you um, have you seen the the Liverpool um, Van Dijk sending the, off and Trent? I'm, no, I've seen I've seen the Trent incident, um, the Van Dijk one. Uh, obviously, we were in Wembley at the time of the game and um, DG watched it um, 
And I, I said to her the other day, like, what did you think about the, the Van Dyke one? She was like, it went a straight red. Um, but no, I can't say that I've seen the instance, but it just seems, I think from what you said, it, you kind of gave me the impression that Trent, two, it should have been a second yellow five minutes in and they potentially bottled it because of how early into the game it was, or is it just they didn't... Yeah, really 100%. That's, that, that's the top and bottom of it. If that if that happens at any other stage in the game, he's walking. So that if he picks up a first yellow card, um, I, I grant him, him this, he got unlucky because it probably should have been a free kick to him. So I think Gordon, muscle, they're both running out towards the bylines for a throw-in and Gordon kind of gives him shoulder and pushes him out and he goes towards advertising boards and referee just says throw into Liverpool he's gone can throw the ball away through the ball away it's automatic booking so there's no dispute in that whatsoever it must have been a minute later that Liverpool have gone down the other end then it's a counter-attack broke for Newcastle Gordon's on this left-hand side he's knocked the ball past uh, Trent and Trent's just completely he's just got his arm across him you know a, a cynical challenge as they say it's, it's, it's a booking every single day because it's stopped a development of a counter-attack which is always a bit of booking um, because it's literally a minute after that referee's bottled it he's got another word with him Gene Evans on commentary giving his classic oh <laughs> soon, soon as soon as he did the foul he was saying straight away like he's in trouble here yeah. and then now referee bottled it so that was that was that incident which completely disagreed with uh, and then there was the Van Dyke sending off straight red um, I think what DG's getting across there I mean I don't want to speak for her but I think she's thinking about the the severity of the tackle because it wasn't a, it wasn't a harsh tackle but it was yeah. the last man that was the that was the issue oh, okay. it was it was the last man if he wasn't there and if he'd not have made that tackle I think it were it was Isaac um, Alexander Isaac it was it was through one on one with the keeper and if he'd not made that tackle it would it would have been in but because he made the tackle it, it was right on the edge of the box there was no covering defenders referee I thought it would need decision straight red card so for yeah. me 100% was a red card because it, it would prevented a clear goal scoring opportunity so I think what, what she's probably saying is she's thinking you know comparing it against like a two footer or something like that which obviously is a different kind of red card so yeah, yeah. for me it was a 100% red card because it was the last man that makes sense Kemp am I wrong in thinking that it's that that's changed because I always knew that it used in to the be penalty area, penalty area, yeah. just the penalty area. But yeah. if you're outside the penalty area, then it's straight yeah. red because yeah. it's a free okay. kick in it. So the classic right. is double jeopardy, don't they? Because you're already giving the penalty away, you're then yeah. condemning yeah. ten men as well. It's like double punishment. So I think they, they right. did away with that. But yeah, if you're outside the box, it was outside the box, which means it's not right. red. Okay, right. Yeah. Okay, fair enough. But just uh, very quickly on the uh, Liverpool game before we get into the last subject in football um, something I saw you had a very brief conversation on Facebook about it but Darwin Nunes yet to start a game in the Premier League mm. when we were doing the season predictions I said uh, I said that you know Haaland is the obvious pick for top scorer but I fancy him to have a really good season this year came off the bench scored two late goals to, to obviously give them that 2-1 win at St James's Park what do you think? Why is he not starting? Is it just a case of easing him into the season? He's come on and proved that he can put the ball back in the net. Do you see him starting moving forward? He has to, surely. I mean, I don't know what kind of football Klopp's trying to play. I don't know if he's trying to be a bit too clever for his own good, whereas he's trying to get that Firmino football back, where he, you know someone who's a ball-playing striker. But for me, Jota, he's miles ahead of Jota. Um, is miles ahead of Gakpo when Gakpo plays centre forward because he's not a centre forward. Um, he's just got that that pace, that directness, and he come on and he just completely changed the game. So yeah, for me, I don't know what he's doing wrong and what he's got to do to start. But I'm just looking now. Next game is Villa at home, 2 p.m. this Sunday, and I can 
I bet my life he'll be starting that game because he's, um, he's, he's more than into it. What's he on? Is it, was that his first two goals of the season or has he scored before then? So, so, no, no, that's that's the first time he scored. Yeah, I think um, I think he'll definitely be starting <clears throat> this um, this coming Sunday. I feel sorry for Endo, the uh, the new the new defensive midfielder they've signed from Germany. He, yeah, uh, he hasn't played a full full game yet with uh, with eleven men because obviously Van Dijk got sent off in the in the Newcastle game and McAllister got sent off game before, so he's come and he's just having to play with ten men every time. So I do feel a bit sorry for him to be fair. I've heard he's got good stamina, so maybe why that's they're not being that that careful. But uh, like last subject on, oh yes, bonus uh, director's cut. That was the one. I don't know why I said bonus. <laughs> um, last subject on football, lads. It's something I'd add, I've added in late, but Sam, it is a it's an occasion that uh, we used to put the uh, the day in at work wherever we were working at the time. We'd book it off and we'd get together and sit the whole day. And it's uh, transfer deadline day, which unfortunately doesn't hold the same sort of prestige that it once did. Why that is, I'm not really sure. Um, a lot of clubs getting their business done early doors now. And then some clubs like Man United getting desperate and just signing fucking anybody, which we'll, we'll get into shortly. But uh, Aggie, I'll come to you, mate. First of all, a couple of signings which do look like they're close and, and names that have seemed to have come out of nowhere in the last sort of 48 hours or so. The first one being Mateus Nunes from Wolves. Manchester City have reached a verbal agreement with them uh, for the transfer of the midfielder. Uh, they're expected to pay £47.3 million up front with up to £4.3 million, uh, Oh, no, sorry. It, it completely ignore that. That's uh, Tommy Doyle uh, going back to Wolves on loan. So uh, nearly £50 million for Mateus Nunes. Not seen a huge amount of him other than the Man United game, and he did play very well. That seems to be sort of option B after pulling out of the move for Paqueta from, uh, from West Ham. Uh, another one as well, Manchester United looks set to bring in Cucurella, left-back on loan after injury to uh, or injuries to Luke Shaw and uh, Tyrell uh, Malasia. For me, as a Man United fan, I think that's a very good signing personally. If we get the Brighton version, he's not really had the chance to play. Um, and another one as well, uh, who is it? Holberg from uh, Tottenham midfielder as well, potentially moving to Manchester United because the move for Amrabat seems to be on and off, on and off. So what are your thoughts on those moves, Aggie? Are they good moves? Are they desperate moves? And, you know, are there any sort of signings that you've seen that could potentially happen in over the next 24 hours? I think position-wise, Nunez for City is going to be a good signing. I think it does show a little bit more desperation from them because they've tried multiple midfielders and now as the final, you know, opportunity starts to the door starts to close they've gone all out on getting uh Nunez. I think he'll be a good sign and I think he'll settle into that Pep side very well. Um much better than what Calvin Phillips has done and I know that he likes to rotate the squad quite a bit so I think that'll play obviously a big part in his game time. Um as per United Kukurea I don't really think too much of. I didn't think too much of him from his time at Chelsea so it is a bit of a risk for United I think. But when you've got injuries to Malassia and, and Shaw, I think you're kind of running thin at that position. So I think it's something you kind of have to go for. Not getting the game time at Chelsea doesn't look like he's going to get in above Chilwell unless there's going to be an injury to him again. So, yeah, it might be worth just chucking some money at him. Um, and the last one, was it Hoiberg? Yes. Yeah, Hoiberg. Um, don't really know too much about that transfer, to be honest with you, mate. So I'm not really going to be able to say too much about it. I think for United, it's, it's all about when... Um, Go on, the striker they've just signed. Holberg. 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 <laughs> I, right. I thought the name was very similar and I thought, no, I'm I'm absolutely wrong with this. Yeah, as soon as I he's fit, said. No, Hoiberg, as as, sorry, Hoiberg. 
Hoiberg, as soon as he's fit, I think it'll be a completely different Manchester United side to what we're seeing at the moment anyway. So add another midfielder, I think that's more just for depth than anything at the moment. So maybe a signing that's been thought through. But United, we know on the last day of transfer windows, just tend to throw money at anybody, don't they? Try and get it over the line. So I think there'll be two signings that will play a huge part in their season. Um, I don't think it will help win them the league, but I think it will definitely get them closer than what they've got at the moment. Um, yeah. Just to touch on Man United, just before we do move on, Dawson, Sam, you don't want to talk about Bruno Fernandes leading his team to 3-2 victory at weekend, do you? What, home against uh, Forest? No, I'm more happy. Yeah. You don't want to talk about we, that, no? We, no, we can spend half an hour yeah, on it. That's all right. Mate, no, 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 just, I just wanted to check that. Sort it's expected on a minute. It's expected. Oh, well, time, two, if you think if you think 2-0 down after four minutes, what were it, four or five minutes? Against Forest, yeah. Captain, minutes, yeah. Captain Fantastic dragging them back to a 3-2. Uh, hold on, hold on, hold on. You was also you was also an, an advocate for stripping look at the fucking state. Oh, yeah. You was also an advocate for saying he's not a good captain. That's all I, I agreed with you. It was him who said <laughs> it was him who said he didn't want to be a fucking club. <laughs> no. Don't. One game. No, I just thought, I just thought I'd get a little bit. On on um, on about the transfers though, you mentioned it, Amrabat. Um I seen on Sky Sports News earlier that it's looking more likely that it will happen. However, it's gonna be a loan, which I didn't yeah. um I didn't I didn't okay. quite understand. Yeah, um, apparently uh, Fiorentina rejected a two million pound bid for a loan that was to be paid in two instalments. Like if that doesn't tell you what the fuck's going on, I don't what? know. What? <laughs> yeah, genuine, <laughs> no. yeah. Yeah, I think Kukure is going to be a good signing. Um, Ag, says it, Ag says it's a bit desperate. I don't, I don't really agree with that. I think is um, is, is a proven pedigree Premier League left back, and I think to have it on loan is a perfect, perfect thing for United at the minute because they don't need him full time because Luke Shaw is one of the best left backs in the country. So, yeah, I think a loan. I think it's a shrewd signing. It's a signing that they needed. Um, I don't think it's desperate at all. I think that that, that was the hand they've been dealt, and I think if they do secure the signing, I think it's some smart business from United to be honest. Yeah, no, I completely agree. I'd be very happy with that. Obviously, Amrabat would be a great signing. Um, so, yeah, I think they're, they're clever signings, which hopefully is, is a sign of what Ten Hag is trying to do. But, Kemp, just one last transfer, because it's a name that you've mentioned a couple of times in conversations that we've had, and there's a name that's popped up today as someone that's potentially moving. Cole Palmer from Manchester City to Chelsea for a reported fee of £40 million. What do you think? I think um, it's very rare to talk about a Manchester City transfer in this respect, but I think they're dropping the ball big time. I think Cole Palmer's a really, really good player um, already. Still really young. Um, great experience at the, obviously, under-21 level. Won the uh, under-21 World Cup with, with England. Um, and, and he was pivotal in that game. And he was pivotal in, uh, in, in getting City back into the community shield as well, scoring that goal against Arsenal. So uh, I think it's a mistake. I think it's a, it's a fair bit of money for what you'd call an unproven player. But I think with the players that they've lost, um, you look at Riyad Mahrez down that same side that Palmer will potentially play down. Um, and I think I think they're losing a big asset and, a, and somebody that could potentially be as big of a fixture in the first team for them as, as potentially a Phil Foden or, or, or someone of that ilk. So it's a surprising move. I didn't see it coming. I did think Cole Palmer would work his way into the City team. But obviously, Pep and his team have seen something that they're not 100% sure on. And, uh, and Cole, Cole Palmer wants game time. So I think it's a good move for him if he's going to get the game time that he needs. Um, going to Chelsea might... It's one of them. It's a good thing because it's working under Partey, who's obviously got a good track record of working with young players. But it's a bad thing because you're going to Chelsea and they've not got 
a good track record of working with young players at all. So kind of a catch-22. But yeah, best of luck to him. I, I really hope he does well because I think Cole Palmer has got uh, the potential to be a, a really strong member of the England setup as well in the senior setup. So fingers crossed he, he goes there and uh, pulls up some trees because I, I really like the look of him myself. So interesting times. But he could also uh, have repercussions for Sheffield United as well because, like I said, we were we are still looking at signing back James McAtee on loan. And the rumour is is that if Palmer leaves, then McAtee won't be allowed out the door because they'll be uh, short in that position. So that might, you know, that that might put put our uh, our move on ice as well, which is a little bit upsetting. But again, the the most important thing, I guess, is Cole Palmer and his development. So I think it's a good bit of business from Chelsea, and I think it might be a mistake for City, but time will tell. Fair one, mate. So uh, we're going to lead in now to Kempi's Combat Corner latest edition, and I'm gonna I'm gonna leave this one with you and Sam having watched the fight. And I'm gonna I'm gonna lead you off with the question that is our headline this week, and that is: Should Daniel Dynamite Dubois be heavyweight champion? Well, thank you very much, Dawson, for moving us over into Kempi's Combat Corner. Um, and Sam is is becoming a regular feature in Kempi's Combat Corner in recent weeks, and I've got all the time in the world for it. Um, in answer to your question, uh, Dawson, no, Daniel Dubois shouldn't be the uh, the heavyweight champion of the world. Um, the the thing you're referring to there, Dawson, is the potential low blow. That is, was it a low blow? Was it not? Seems like it's pretty fifty fifty across the board. I watched the fight just about. I did have to go to the out of hours doctors. That's unrelated, and I literally just got back to back to my house to watch the fight. But yes, uh, we we got to the fight in the end. Um, and Alexander Usyk, as Dawson's just mentioned, defended his IBF, uh, WBA, WBO uh, heavyweight championship of the world. Uh, by knocking out Daniel Dubois, I think it was two minutes and 11 seconds of the ninth round. Sam, myself and you, we both predicted a 10th round TKO. We did, we did. We were close, we were close, close. but no cigar. We were close, but no cigar. Um, I don't think it was a low blow. I'm going to go out there straight away. Uh, sorry, I, I do think it was a low blow, sorry. I'm getting confused myself. I think it was a low blow. Um, you've got to look at the rules, and, and a lot of people are looking at it saying, oh, he didn't get it on the balls. That's completely irrelevant. It doesn't of matter. Course. The rule is is that if it's below the below navel, the which is your belly button, then that is a low blow. And if you look clearly at the pictures that you've seen, in my opinion, Usyk's shorts were low enough for the shot to be below the navel. Uh, we were discussing this, Sam, when the fight was going on live. We were chatting in the group chat, and I said initially, and my initial thoughts were that it wasn't low. I've been back. I've looked at it. I've looked at all the pictures, all the different angles. And I do think it was a low blow, uh, but I think the mistake made there was referee not taking a point from Daniel Dubois. So that's my thoughts on the low blow situation, not wanting to kind of drag onto it too much because it's yeah. taken away from what was a very, very good fight in the end. But what's your two penneth about the uh, low blow <clears throat> situation? The same as you, mate, to be honest. Um, I've changed my mind so many times and I've come to the conclusion that I don't think I quite know. Even after that, I mean, I've, I've seen it that many different times. I've, I've, I'm, on the night... I thought it was. I was one. I was complete opposite to you. I thought it was a low blow straight away. After seeing a few pictures, I do believe that he's wore his shorts quite high, and the light, the short line is quite high. Um, so I think it's quite murky. I, I can see both arguments on on people for and against it being a being an illegal hit. Um, so I, I don't really have. Um, too much of an issue with the call. The only issue, as I say, as you've already touched on, is the fact that the ref didn't nip it in the board on the night. And if it, I think if it deducted a point, no one would have even been talking about it because it had been in black and white. We know what the ref's thinking. But the fact that he didn't do that, he left it open to interpretation. And and this is what we've got from it. Um, 
I will say one thing for the ref. He has only had one second's worth of, you know, he's, he's judging it on one on the eye, one second. We've got the we've got the privilege of all these different angles of photos. We can see his, his short line side, it's covering his navel, and, and it's not. He hasn't got that that luxury, unfortunately. So I do. I do side with him to some extent in the fact that he's, he's had a split second to make that decision. And the fact that, if you don't know if you agree with me, it's probably 50-50, I'd say, from what people are saying. People think it's illegal or not illegal. You know, there doesn't seem to be one major consensus in what people are thinking. So for that reason alone, I can kind of forgive the decision because if you're making it in the split second and people are still debating it now, then what chance have you got really in, in real time? Yeah, that's it. And I think, you know, regardless of which way you, you lean on it, whether you think it was low or you think it was legal, it's it's very, very, very yeah. close. No matter 100%. which way you look at it, it's very close. The thing that's kind of tipped me over the edge, and I'm glad you've said you've been going back and forth on it because I have as well. Um, again, at the time, didn't think it was low. Then I did, then I didn't. Now I do again. It's it's so close that it's really, really difficult. Um, but what, what I think is um, quite telling for me is that if you look at boxers when they get hit with body shots, normally what happens is it, it it's a bit of a delayed reaction when you get hit with a body shot. You get hit, and then you kind of think, yeah, I'm all right. And then it's like, oh, I'm not all right. And and that tends to be the reaction when somebody gets hit with a body shot. You look recently when Ryan Garcia uh, lost. Um, you look uh, at various different examples where somebody's been hit with a body shot, think they're okay, and then, oh, oh actually, I'm not okay. And then they'll go down to a knee. The reaction from Usyk wasn't that. It was he got hit and straight away went down like a sack of shit. That's not usually the reaction that's, uh, that a boxer will give when they get hit with a body shot. Now, granted, it is it is obvious and it is quite clear that Usyk doesn't like it to the body. Not he at all. Not showed at that all. in the amateurs, showed that against AJ. AJ caught him with a really good body shot and he caught him with a couple, actually. And one of them, Usyk, once again, did say, oh, that's low. So he has got previous for this sort of thing. He doesn't like the low shots. He doesn't like the body shots. And it is a weakness in, in Usyk's game that I'm sure whoever fights Usyk next will be licking the lips and thinking, mm, yeah, that's a bit of me, that I'll, I'll go for the body. But it, it wasn't the reaction to me of somebody that had been hit to the body and was hurt. It was a reaction to somebody for me that had been hit at the top of the cup and the cup had maybe gone into his bollocks or something like that. And it had kind of rearranged his 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 cup so that it, it had affected his, his testicles, bless his heart. Um, so for me, again, I am ever so slightly leaning on the, the low side of things. But even if it wasn't, you know, if, if the referee would have started counting, who's to say that he wouldn't have got up? You know, I know you say that. Yeah, that's true. It, that's it was true. it was in pain. You could see that he was in pain. But how much of that was right? OK, the referee's called this low. I'm going to milk it. I'm going to stay down for a bit. I'm going to take my time. It did really fucking hurt, whether it was low or not. Only Usyk knows. But, you know, it did really hurt. I'm going to take my time. Ref's called it low. I've got five minutes. I know I have. I'm going to be a bit clever about this. And Usyk is one of the most, you know, the the, the highest ring IQ in the business. You'd probably say either is Alexander Usyk or Tyson Fury. So who's to say that if it was, you know, if it was a legal shot, he wouldn't have got up, which is why when people are saying, oh, Daniel Dubois should be the heavyweight champion, well, you can't really say that. It's not as easy. It's not easy to say that because even if it was legal, would he have got up or not? But again, I'm sure the debate will rage on. Um, and it's it's worth knowing and worth noting that Frank Warren, the head of Queensbury Promotions, and Daniel Dubois' promoter um, has said that they are appealing uh, the de- decision made on the night um, and they will be re- releasing, I suppose, the outcome of that appeal in due course. I, I think... Getting a rematch is a bit unrealistic at this point, Sam. I don't think there's that much interest in it personally. And I don't think 
the governing bodies will order the rematch based on on the evidence that's been provided. When you've got somebody like Hergovic waiting in the wings, where Tyson Fury could potentially step up after the Ngannou fight and, and Fright Usyk next. So I don't think there's that much justification to do the rematch. And I don't think that appeal will get overturned to do the rematch. I think Frank Warren's more looking at potentially a no contest at this point and, and kind of saving a bit of Daniel Dubois' pride rather than getting a rematch in the ring. What are your thoughts? Do you think Warren thinks he can get a rematch or do you think it's kind of just a safe face a little bit? Possibly safe face. Um... It does sound like he genuinely believes it is a um, it is a low blow on you know every interview I've heard him do on Talksport and all, and all that. But yeah, and one thing I do think is a bit a bit shitter in all this is that Daniel Dubois had absolutely fucking no chance going into this fight, and I thought he actually fought really well. I thought he gave almost as good as he could have probably got. He probably did quit slightly in the ninth. I think when he got knocked down. I think if he could if he really asked, asked himself, I think he could have got back up. I, I do believe that. Um, we all know he's got previous for kind of quitting on his fights. He's, he's kind of got that over his head. But I thought he was. I thought he was really tidy. Actually, I thought he's fighting pound for pound one of the best fighters in the world at the minute. And I thought he, he really held his own um, into that into the round where he did the low blow. You said obviously. He's, um, Usyk's been a bit wily there. Obviously, he stayed down. He's took a minute. He's composed himself. Because I think at that point in the fight, Dubois had got a lot of confidence. And I think he'll come into it more and more. The more the, more the rounds went on, the more he was, he were angry about it. You're thinking, hang on a minute. This, this could end up a bit, um, a bit of a disaster for Usyk. And I think he just took that bit of time just to, you know, re recompose, gather himself and and go again. I think that probably did him the world are good in the end. But yeah, I thought Dubois, I thought he, um, got, he deserves to get his flowers from this, but no one's really talking about that. Everyone's just talking about the um, the dubious punch, which I think is a bit harsh on him. Yeah, I think so. But, you know, that's that's what he wants. You know, Dubois and Frank Warren want to make as much noise about this punch as they possibly can, because ultimately that may potentially, you know, lead them to a rematch. You know, it's very unrealistic in my opinion, but Dubois and Frank Warren and, and, and Dubois' trainer, um, they're going to want to make as much noise as they possibly can because that's what's going to get them to, to potentially a rematch for the heavyweight title. So, yes, it is taking a little bit of shine off Dubois' performance, but I think Dubois and Frank Warren are leading that charge more than anything else, Sam, to be honest. So, uh, what what can they expect in that respect? And I think I completely agree. Daniel Dubois into this fight, I, I really didn't give him much of a chance. I gave him a puncher's chance, if anything. First two or three rounds, he looked really, really shaky. He looked like the nerves were getting to him and the occasion was getting to him. And then after that, he started coming into the fight. I, I think the fourth and fifth round, and the fifth round, obviously, he put him down with the, the low or the not low blow. Uh, I'll just call it the body shot, and then everybody will know what we're talking about. But yeah, when he put him down with a body shot, I think before that, Dubois was was really coming back into the fight. And then Usyk, as you say, you know, we've mentioned it, was a little bit wily, took his time, you know, knew the shot was low, so he didn't have any rush. And then I think after that, I think that was Dubois' chance. I think Dubois really then needed to step on the gas and say, right, I've hurt him. He's, he's took a bit of time to get up. You know, whether he thought it was low or not, you know, he needs to get that out of his head. I was having a conversation with somebody today and they were saying, oh, yeah, but, you know, he's, he's psychologically went because he thought he should have been a knockdown. But no, got to get that out of your head. You've got to accept the fact that it wasn't a low blow. The referee's not counted as a low blow, but you've hurt him. Whether it was low or not, you've hurt him. So you need to go. That's that's your opportunity. You need to go. And I think with Dubois not taking that opportunity at that point in time, um, I think it cost him, and ultimately, as, as we've mentioned, Usyk managed to uh, stop him late on, which is a lot of what, what a lot of what others were were thinking that would potentially happen. Um, and again, you're absolutely spot on. You know, he's got previous. Um, yes, he had a, a fractured orbital bone, and I can't imagine how painful that is um, against Joe Joyce. But you know, 
put it this way, if Tyson Fury has a fractured orbital bone in a fight, do you think he stops? No. You know, for, for all of Anthony Joshua, and, I, and again, I don't rate him as highly as some people, but I think even if Anthony Joshua has a broken orbital, I think he'd be, be tougher to stop than, than Daniel Dubois was in that in that Joe Joyce fight. And again, you know, the shot that Usyk uh, finally put Dubois away with, I think it was a jab. I think it was, I think it was a right jab that he put him away with. So again, it, it has happened. I've seen boxers knock people out with jabs, and if it's a stiff jab, then it can do a lot of damage, most definitely. But I think Dubois, I think he had a big adrenaline dump. I think he was, he thought he was on for a really good, you know, uh, outcome when that body shot landed, and then as soon as it was called a low blow, I think he had a bit of an adrenaline dump, and I think it was, I think that was it for the rest of the fight. So I think it's, I think it's an experience. You know, he's 25, he's very young for a heavyweight, but he's, he's, I, I think, to be honest, I think his career so far has been let down by bad matchmaking. You know, for 15 fights, he didn't fight anybody with, with any ounce of credibility in the heavyweight division. I don't think I've ever heard of any of his opponents apart from Usyk and Joe Joyce. So, you know, he's not had that slow progression into, you know, the top level, which is what you need in the heavyweight division. AJ's is perfect example. You know, one thing you can say about Eddie Hearn and AJ is that Eddie Hearn has managed AJ's career perfectly up until the mm. Andy Ruiz fight. Perfectly. He, he didn't put a foot wrong. You know, fighting Charles Martin, who was an IBF champion, he was literally a paper champion, but again, had that experience, fought a little bit of a step up, got that world title, then went on to fight Klitschko, way past his best, but still have that quality as a world champion and as a world-class opponent. And then he moved into the world-class opponents after he fought those. You know, with Daniel Dubois, you've got him fighting nobodies and then fighting Joe Joyce, who's a, a real experienced, crafty, strong, you know, technical boxer. Um, got put away, quit a little bit, as we've mentioned before. He, he, I think he'll be, you know, first to admit, he could probably have, have stayed in that a little bit more. And then since then, he's fought nobody. Again, he's fought nobody. And then you put him in with Alexander Usyk, who's potentially one of the best pound-for-pound fighters in the world. So for me, I get you've got to take your opportunities in the heavyweight division or in any division of boxing, but I think his matchmaking's been poor. And I think at 25 years old, I think he's been thrown to the wolves a little bit twice by Frank Warren. You know, he's fought nobodies and then really, really high-level opponents and there's been nothing in between. So I'd like to see Daniel Dubois come back. You know, he's a British guy, still young, He's still got at least 10 years, you know, at that level, if he can potentially do it, you know, fighting in the heavyweight division at 35, nobody's looking at that funny, are they? Nobody's no. looking at that funny. So he's still got a long, long time in his career, but hopefully they can bounce back from this and they can build him against, you know, C-level guys, B-level guys, A-level guys, and then world champions rather than the mix and match sort of booking that they've been doing with Dubois so far. But again, taking nothing away from Alexander Usyk, retains his heavyweight championships of the world. He, he put on a good performance, I thought. I don't think it was his best performance, Alexander Usyk. I think he did no. what he needed to do. But there were times where he looked a little bit shaky and looked a little bit easy to catch. And, and Dubois is not the best boxer in the world. So it doesn't change my opinion that if Usyk did fight Tyson Fury, that Fury will win the fight. I've always had that opinion and, and that opinion has stayed. Um, but it doesn't look like that's happening next because obviously Tyson Fury is fighting somebody that's never fought in a boxing match before. But that's a different story. Um, what's next, Sam, for Alexander Usyk? What's next for Daniel Dubois, do you think? I know I watched an interview with Eddie Hearn earlier saying that Filip Hergovic is the mandatory to to Alexander Usyk next. Um, what do you think? 
I mean, <clears throat> I'd watch it, obviously, but it's not the fight I particularly want to see. I want to see him fighting. A, I want to see him fighting a Fury. I want to see him fighting. I don't, not not really Joshua, I suppose, because we've already had that uh, been and done. So yeah, probably Fury, and that, that's the one that I'm wanting to see. Um, <clears throat> I don't think he was um, in attendance for that game, but game that uh, that match. But um, yeah, after watching that at home with the Furies, just get the feeling that there's, there is still some unfinished business between them two. I didn't realise that actually because I didn't watch the uh, I didn't watch the Fiori Chizora fight last year. Didn't realise that um, it, it'd come into the ring at the end and there was a bit of a face off between the two. And so yeah, this seems like there's a bit there between them both. So I, I'm I'm still holding out hope for for the Fiori Usyk fight. Um, I just wanted to ask your opinion on something that they keep mentioning on Talk Sport, especially since the weekend. They're on about bringing in some form of VAR to boxing. Um, I don't know how it'll work because boxing is such a flowing sport that it's so momentum-based. And if you're stopping the fire at a particular point, say if there was VAR for Saturday's gone and, and they've stopped it for a good couple of minutes to make a decision. What's your opinion on that? Because it just, for me, it just seems like both fighters are resetting for a couple of minutes and, and they're going again and, and the flow's going out of the fight. And I don't know. I don't know how I feel about it. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's difficult. I mean, it's, it's the same as we've discussed in football, right? You know, technology can't hurt it. It can't hurt it in any way. Uh, but it's the implementation of that technology. You know, that's what we're talking about in the Premier League, aren't we? That our big argument with Adam is that he doesn't like VAR and wants it to be scrapped. You know, he blames the technology. It's not the technology, it's the way that it's implemented. So it, it all depends on on how it's implemented and what that looks like. There, there is a a fight replay system in, in mixed martial arts in certain districts. Um it's not used in the fight. So if there's a fight ending sequence that is a little bit controversial, it's like, okay, was that a low shot that finished the fight? Was it a an eye gouge or something like that? The referee will then go and look at the monitor after the fight and then, you know, say, oh, actually, yeah, that was a low shot that finished the fight. And then what they'll do is rule it a no contest at that point no. in time. So it, so it would help for that side of things. But in this instance, Sam, you know, We've seen about 50 different angles of this of the shot. Exactly. Pictures, videos, everything. And we still can't agree. <laughs> so so in this instance, how much does VAR make any difference in this in this fight? So again, depends on the implementation, but for me, I don't know. I think if you use it after the fight to potentially turn it into a no contest, that's kind of the only way that I can see that going. But I don't think that butters many parsnips, to be honest with you. Well, I, th <clears throat> I think that that already exists, to be honest. I think that's what uh, Frank Warren's relying on. I've seen, <clears throat> I seen an interview on TalkSport the other day, and that's, that's the whole process, apparently, of this fighting and non-contest. They've got all this footage now that they're going to go and take to, to the board. And uh, they, they will the difference be... is, I think the difference is, sorry to interrupt, but in MMA, before the decision is made by the referee at the end of the night, the, the the video is implemented so right. what it'll do is as soon as the fight stops you know it, the the ringside officials and everybody will or cage side officials will say you need to go and look at the the monitor because that could potentially be a no contest he'll then go and look at the monitor and he'll say right yeah actually that was a no contest so i need to we need to rule that initially as a no contest and then he'll go into the cage and he'll say to bruce buffer you need to say it's a no contest because of a low blow and that's how that works in mma so that would be a similar way in, in, in which it will work. But yeah, I think Frank Warren, I think the best that he can hope for, Sam, is, is potentially um, a no contest because I'm not quite sure they're going to get this rematch over the line. No, no, you're probably right there, to be fair.
got some more boxing coming up, don't we? But it's interesting, yeah, it's interesting. I'm sure the debate will rage on. And whatever Alexander Usyk does next, he will do it as the WBA, WBO, IBF, heavyweight champion of the world. They need to fucking get rid of the other <laughs> One belt. That's all we want. One belt. All we want. And uh, yeah, there's uh, there's some interesting developments on, uh, on on drug testing and stuff as well, because it came out this week as well, Sam, in the boxing world. It was kind of overshadowed by the Usyk and, and, uh, and, and Dubois fight. Uh, but Robert Hellenius, who was drafted in last minute to, to fight against Anthony Joshua because Dylan White tested positive for a banned substance, Robert Hellenius then tested for a banned substance um, on his pre-fight uh, drug test. But obviously AJ came through the fight anyway. Um, Eddie Hearn has said that he's looking to set up something that's that reminiscent of the UFC USADA program in that every single matchroom fighter or, or a fighter that's on a matchroom card will be tested 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and it's completely at random. And that will hopefully increase the amount of, of positive tests and get rid of the dirty athletes from the sport. So do you think something like that is enough to try and stop these things from happening? Or do you think it's just part and parcel of the sport and there'll always be drug cheats and there's no way of getting rid of it? I mean, if it's Eddie Hearn running the uh, the testing, it's that old snake oil salesman, as, uh, as Simon Jordan well, likes to call be, him. Well, it won't be Eddie Hearn running the testing, but it'll be that sort of programme. So essentially, in the UFC, Dana White doesn't have anything to do with it, even though he's sort of the president of the UFC. But USADA, he's got a programme set up where USADA test fighters, whether they're in camp, out of camp, don't matter, and they're in a testing programme. And I think that's the difference. And I'm not sure Eddie Hearn will be running it himself, but <laughs> he's obviously the one that's that's trying to set it up. Yeah, it's um, it's a poor showing, isn't it? I don't, I don't know what's going on with the with that heavyweight division and, and drug testing at the minute. But yeah, to say to say the fight's been changed once for that same reason and that Eagles and do the exact same for me, it's just it's absolutely crazy. Um, it's dangerous. It's it's putting Joshua at risk fighting someone, you know bent up like that on PEDs <clears throat> so yeah for me throw, throw the book at him I know he, we all thought he were doing well coming in at the last minute you know save the fight sort of thing but now you don't want to be uh, you don't want to be encouraging that behaviour yeah no you're spot on and again he's confidential as to what he's popped for so we don't know if it's you know we I'm not saying we have to give him the benefit of the doubt, but we don't know. He's got a case to answer. You know, it could be purposely taking PEDs to cheat. could be a tainted supplement. It could have taken a um, some creatine that could have had something in it that, that that shouldn't have been in it. So, you know, you've got to be very, very careful in, in when it comes to the drug testing. But it's a good thing that they are catching these drug cheats because more often than not, you know, that means that they... They, uh, they they will be banned for a significant period of time, and they'll uh, you know they'll suffer for that, and hopefully think twice about doing it again. But yes, Sam, moving on to a little bit more positive. You mentioned there's more boxing this weekend, and it's a rematch from the fight that we watched earlier in the year. Uh, it doesn't seem like two minutes ago, to be honest. It's Chris no. Eubank Jr. versus Liam Smith, number two. And the last time we watched this, we were in sunny Newcastle uh, on our good friends Stag Do. Um, and we were watching the fight in the sports bar, and we were all a little bit surprised as uh, as to who won the fight. Liam Smith uh, ended up winning the fight. It was a bit of a, a shock result. A lot of people thought it was a Chris Eubank easy win to set up the Conor Ben fight, but but it wasn't the case, Sam. And uh, yeah, Liam Smith versus Chris Eubank Jr. Run it back this weekend at the Manchester Arena. So it's going to be a tasty one. Who, who do you think? How do you think the fight goes, and who do you think takes the win? You know what? I'm going. I'm fully in uh, Chris Eubank Jr.'s camp this time round. I thought he started the fight really well. <clears throat> Got a bit of frog in my throat tonight. I thought he started the fight really well. Um, the third round, 
I thought he uh, he really come into it and he, he really started to uh, to look look comfortable in the fight. Fourth round, I don't really know what happened there. I think it, it's something. It, it took his eye off the ball. I think for a second, Liam Smith pounced. Put, put I think it was a nine punch combination together, and it caught him with an elbow. I will say, did catch him with an elbow, which has been quite uh, quite well documented um, over these. Uh, the, I've watched a couple of the, the gloves are off recently, and the. the he alert to that was one of the reasons why he got the big uh, golf ball around his eye. Um, and I'd not noticed it actually watching the fight the first time around. So I had to go back on YouTube and I had to, I had to watch. And, and it does, it does catch him with an elbow when he's, when he's throwing his combination. So yeah, it's, um, it's certainly a fight I've been, been looking forward to for a while now. Um, I've been all in this week, just, consuming as much uh, content as I can with these pair and they just genuinely don't really like each other do they um, Liam Smith a bit of a normal geezer Eubanks just exactly the same as his dad a bit uh, away with fairies a bit, a bit um, extravagant a bit eccentric is the word I think I'm looking for um, but yeah I'm, I'm really looking forward to this one did you catch the um, did you catch the Eubanks senior interview on Talk Sport back in June, and he, he absolutely slagged his son off, saying it's not where it should be, and uh, that's been I think that's been unearthed again this this past week. I think uh, Junior did an interview on the overlap, Gary Neville's overlap, and Gary Neville asked him about it. Said, what do you think your dad calling you a, um, a charlatan? I think he, he called him. Uh, so yeah, it's uh, there's there's a lot in the background of this fight that's kind of been simmering below the surface, and yeah, I, I can't wait for this one to be honest. I, I, I yeah. do think I do think Chris Eubank Jr. will will come out victorious this time. Yeah, I think the context was is that Simon Jordan, as he often does, caused a bit of controversy, uh, calling Chris Eubank Jr. a charlatan. Yeah, and I think Chris Eubank Sr. sort of sat there and said, "My silence says it all." Exactly so that. Exactly. He didn't that. agree, but he didn't disagree. But yeah, it's it's a little bit weird. I mean. I think I'll look at Chris Eubank Sr. And um, although he was a very, very, very skilled boxer, very skilled fighter, he had many, many fights in his pro career. Um, who knows what, what type of damage that did to him neurologically, to his brain, you know, if he got concussions and stuff like that. And, and adding to that, you know, the loss of a son with, yeah. with Chris Eubank's brother, Seb, um, dying about 18 months, two years ago. Um, I don't think Sr. is in possibly the right headspace to be making no, these sort appearances and I think there's been some criticism of Talksport and I like Talksport as a as a broadcaster. I think they they are very good at what they do. But at the same time I, I do think they have a responsibility to the legends of the game like Chris Eubank Senior to potentially not put him in that position. Um and Simon Jordan, you know, he don't he don't give a shit who's in front of him. He's going to get the answers that he wants because it's you know it's ratings and it's better for his profile. Um but I think senior in that position I'm not quite sure he he was the best suited person to maybe say that sort of thing um, when he had that interview but hey you know that's it, it's his right he's, he's a grown man um, it's his right to do what he wants to do and clearly at that point in time that's what he felt as though was necessary but yeah um, it's going to be a, 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 a really really interesting fight I think I, w I went into the first fight pretty much like everybody else thinking Chris Eubank Jr. would pretty much get the job done fairly fairly quickly and smoothly Liam Smith is a really really good fighter but he's never been kind of an elite level fighter um, nobody's ever looked at Liam Smith as, as, as a sort of top top fighter um, like you said he's a, he's a bit of an everyman really Sam I wouldn't say he's a journeyman but a bit of an everyman he's, he's got that sort of record he's got three losses on his record which in boxing is you know it's it's, it's not amazing it's not bad but it's you know it's not amazing he's, he's fought some okay guys and beat them um, you know Jesse Vargas being one of them, uh, Roberto Garcia, Sam Eggington, decent fighters. You know he's beat decent. Did, did, fighters, he, did he fight Canelo? 
no. No. Oh yeah, he did. No, he did. Yeah. Sorry, yes, he did. He did, and he lost against Canelo, which yeah. a lot of people, most people do. <laughs> yeah, but, everyone does. But again, you know, he's, he's also lost against fighters like Jamie Mungua, Magomed Kurbanov. So it's like, you know, he's he's as a mad burger top. He's he's one of them where he's <laughs> he's kind of pushing top level, but he's not he's not there. And and a lot of people thought that Eubank Junior was going to get the job done. And then as as Callis Sowland, uh, Chris Eubank's promoter, says. He landed a punch from the gods in that fourth round. Uh, swarmed him. Uh, Chris Eubank Jr. never recovered and he finished him. Yes, he landed a big elbow shot in there, which which cut his face up nicely. And uh, if you watch the UFC and MMA, you'll know that elbow strikes really do damage to the face. Um, so it wasn't surprising that he did have that sort of hematoma on his head and that slice, because <laughs> that's what the elbows do to you. But yeah, <clears throat> there's a lot of bad blood going into this second fight. I don't think it's bad blood kind of personally. But I think professionally, I think Liam Smith's got a bit of a chip on his shoulder saying, you thought you were going to walk all over me. I beat you. You know, I'm I'm this, I'm that. And I think Chris Eubank Jr. has definitely got a point to prove. because he I think he's got to win. win I, think, I think he's got to win. Yeah, if he doesn't win this fight, you know, where does he go? I think if he doesn't win this fight and then the Conor Ben fight raises its ugly head, I'm not quite sure how many people are going to be interested in that because I think they'll think that it's pretty much a foregone conclusion with Conor Ben. Still think there's a market for it. Still think there's a market. Just on the back of the dad. Just on the back of the dads. Yeah, I think there'll always be a market for it in that sense. But, you know, in terms of kind of a top-level boxer, I think that becomes then a more of a gimmick fight. Definitely. Definitely. Than it does a, you know, yes, we've our dads are Chris Eubank and Nigel Ben, but... Who is you know we're both still going for world titles. We 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 both still want to be what we are. And I think if Chris Eubank Jr. doesn't win this fight this weekend, I think that element of the fight with with Conor Ben, I think that goes down the swanee pretty quickly. Um, but yeah, I agree. I'm going to push you. I need to push you. I need to push you for no, an answer. Fine. No, that's fine. That's fine. Um, I'm going to go with Liam Smith to Ooh. win by unanimous decision. Oh, points. It's going the distance, yeah. is it? I've got to I just think, quickly check the odds there. Yeah, I think so. And I, I don't think it's a popular uh, thing. I think a lot of people think this this fight's going to be a, you know, a barnstormer, a barn burner, as I always say. Nice. Um, but, but I don't think, I, I think a lot of people think it will be that. And then I think when they get into the ring, I think it'll be a little bit of a, a cagey affair because I think Liam Smith's got more to lose this time because he's riding, up, riding on the quest of the, of the wave. And I don't think uh, Chris Eubank Jr. wants to be hurt um, like he was last time. So that's just my opinion. I can see it going the distance, but I do think Liam Smith um, will win in the end. Sam, what, what are the what are the odds saying? What, what are the bookmakers saying, to my opinion? Uh... I'm just scrambling at the minute. So, wow, OK. So just an, an outright, right? So just an outright, Liam Smith is favourite. Yeah. That's, that's actually 8 to 13 on. And uh, Chris Eubank Jr. is thirteen to ten. So just off, off off the bat, Chris Eubank's going into this as a slight underdog there. So that that's actually really surprised me. Um, so yeah, yeah. Um, I think I, I knew I was expecting Liam Smith to go into it as a favourite. Obviously, he won the last fight. I know he was a big underdog in the last fight, but he did win the last fight. So I was expecting him to to be the favourite in this fight. Um, he, he is the favourite to win by TKO. Yeah, He's eleven to eight to win by TKO. He's three to one to win by decision. But I just think, Sam, in my experience watching fights, when it's a big rematch sometimes, when it's a, a, a grudge match sometimes, when it's, a, you know, the first fight was all action, sometimes the second fight can be, like like a lot of sequels in life, can be a little bit of a letdown. One of the one of them can be, right, I won that fight and I weren't expecting to, so I just want to kind of outpoint and I just want to sort of get away with a win. 
and the other side can be a little bit, you know, wary of getting punched. Eubank don't want to be in that same position as he was last time. So I think it'll be a bit of a cagey affair. I don't think it'll be the most entertaining fight in the world. Um, and I think Liam Smith will win by decision. But there we go. Fair enough. But we are looking forward to it. Sam is all in on the boxing these days and I am all over it. I'm loving talking boxing with my man, Sam White. But I am going to talk a little bit about MMA just before we move on to the next stage of the process and the next stage of the podcast today. Um, This weekend, this last weekend, MMA uh, saw a retirement of a legend of the game, the Korean Zombie, uh, losing against Max Holloway. Um, And yeah, it was a a very, very interesting fight. Uh, But Max Holloway added another string to his bow. Knockout power. Now Max Holloway's pretty much got it all, which is a terrifying thing to know. Um, but but a, a, a real sad occasion, but a real happy occasion that the Korean zombie has has sort of gone out on his shield as a lot of people expected him to, um, and has sailed off into the sunset. And like I say, um, Andy from the office when he's singing uh, the Cranberry Zombie in a really sombre uh, tone, I think that's been a lot of MMA fans this week because uh, yeah, really sad to see the retirement of the Korean zombie. But congratulations to Max Blessed Holloway who moves to twenty five and seven. Uh, from his TKO 23 seconds into the third round um, against the Korean Zombie. So, yeah, it was a a real interesting highlight package from what I saw. Didn't watch the fight. As I mentioned, we were in London, um, but a a very good win for Max Holloway. Another win, maybe not as good a win, uh, was in the co-main event, Anthony Smith beating Ryan Spann in what was a very, very controversial decision by all accounts, um, and Erin Blanchfield winning by unanimous decision um, in her fight against Talia Santos, and she continues to work her way up the featherweight division, the flyweight division in the women's side of things. So setting up for a really, really interesting end to 2024, will Max Holloway fight Alexander Volkanovsky once again for the 145 belt? Aggie's shaking his head. He doesn't think that fight's going to happen again. Anthony Smith, where does he go from now? He's always been a little bit of a gatekeeper at light heavyweight. Is he going to be able to get himself back into the upper echelons of one of the the weakest divisions in, in the UFC, you would potentially say? Um, but it's all to come. It's all here. It's all live. It's all on Kempi's Combat Corner. Looking forward to reviewing the boxing this weekend. Looking forward to getting stuck into back into some good UFC. UFC this weekend, Cyril Garn versus Sergei Spivak, <clears throat> excuse me, and uh, Tom Aspinall, uh, the UFC uh, heavyweight from, from the UK, who's flying the flag for British MMA at the moment, will be in attendance to potentially fight the winner after that fight. So UFC Paris this weekend, UFC uh, Holloway versus the Korean Zombie this last weekend. Thank you, the Korean Zombie, for everything you've done for the sport. Um, and tune in next week, episode 67 at that point, for Kempi's Combat Corner. Thank you very much, lads. And Aggie, it's over to you now, mate. Formula One, we were in London. As we've said, I think take a shot every time we say London. It's about 12 times now. Um, I've literally, just as they were talking, looked at the result because I realised I haven't actually... I, I saw Max one from your message... Um, but I don't know who was on the podium or anything. But from what you said, it seemed like it was a uh, a bit of a chaotic race in the the old Netherlands. Yes, mate, utter chaos. Uh, Max Verstappen, of course, got back on pole position as we all kind of expected. I know last week myself, you and Sam all predicted that uh, Lando Norris would appear somewhere on the podium as well. He qualified in second place, and then from absolutely nowhere, the Williams of Alex Albon qualified in third place. So it's served for what was expected to be a very entertaining race from some of the drivers that. You wouldn't necessarily expect to be that high up the grid, but they all managed to get there as well. 
Um, Max Verstappen managed to equal a record and beat a record in the same weekend, of course, by winning the race. He now ties the record with Sebastian Vettel for the most race wins in a row at nine. He will go on to win that, of course, next, this upcoming weekend. I'm pretty sure when it gets to Italy. Um, but he also beat the record that Jensen Button set in Canada 2014 when he won the race with four pit stops. Max Verstappen this weekend won the race with six pit stops. One of those, of course, come in during a red flag as well as the rain just continued to pour down. It brought a red flag and a stop to the race as one of the longer races on the shorter tracks, I dare say. Uh, this race went two hours and 24 minutes and they're supposed to have stopped racing after two hours. So I think the red flag and the rain coming out means they allowed that race to go on a little bit longer than what they're supposed to do. But yeah, Max Verstappen back to the top step of the podium. Uh, red Bull, I think that's now... Uh, 13 out of 13 for them, 11 of which are for Max Verstappen and um, I think two of those are for Checo as well. So, you know, Red Bull are just continuing to dominate. In regards to competition for them, I think McLaren is starting to pick it up ever so slightly, but still nobody is anywhere near the Red Bulls. And I know we spoke before this little summer break about what pe- what teams needed to do to get close to them and whether people would really see that. I know Sam mentioned last time that people would really start to see the drop-off of Red Bull or or where that penalty really came in in the second half of the season. We are only one race into the second half of the season, but so far it just looks like it's business as usual for Red Bull, as Max Verstappen, of course, finished on the top step of the podium. Second place was a nice little return to podium for Fernando Alonso of the Aston Martin. He had five pit stops himself. And third place, Skin, somebody that you'll be familiar knowing from uh, the Red Bull days, the Alpine of Pierre Gasly managed to get into third step of the podium uh, with five Pierre pit stops. Pierre Gasly! Exactly. You take it from me, I can't. No, you can't. Pierre Gasly, bit of, a bit of a tribute to Daniel Ricciardo's put you off there somehow. Not really sure how that's, how that's happened. But uh, yeah, absolutely, mate. It seemed like it was a chaotic race, which does allow for uh, others to, to get themselves on the podium. Good to see Alonso back up there. Uh, we, I think we spoke uh, just before the summer break about how we started the season really well and then it started to drop off a little bit. So good to see him back up there. How much the, the weather played into that, I'm not quite sure. But uh, Max Verstappen now tied the record with Seb, uh, Sebastian Vettel, Vettel with wow. uh, nine. Yeah, Sebastian Vettel with nine race wins in a row. And this weekend they head to Monza, one of the most historic races on the Formula One calendar with the Italian Grand Prix. Does Max break that record and become the first ever Formula One driver to win 10 races in a row? I personally think so. I think it's set up for him. I think he's too dominant at the moment. It would require some massive fall off if he was to finish the race not in first place. It would require a lot more for him to actually not finish the race in general. So, yeah, I think it's just going to be another Red Bull win. I know you like to go through the predictions for these. And with the Monza coming up this weekend, it's one of those uh, tracks that you like. I know you like the... uh, the first corner, it normally causes a lot of uh, overtaking, if not incidents, between a couple of drivers, maybe towards the end of races or qualifying sessions when they're taking a bit of a lunge. So, yeah, I know you like this sort of this uh, this kind of track with this narrow track. There's not much space on um, the track itself, should I say, without uh, the runoff. So I'm going to go with Max Verstappen winning again. I like the fact that Fernando got back up there. He is, uh, he is my favourite driver on track at the moment, despite the fact he's not with McLaren. So I'm going to get him for a podium finish. And I think I'm going to put Lewis Hamilton as the third for the podium finish. I'm going to drop um, drop Lando out of it for the first time in about four weeks. So I'm going to go Max. And then somewhere along the lines, we're going to have Fernando and Lewis as well. So what, what's your prediction? 
you've got to go max win, haven't you? Unfortunately, I say unfortunately, but it is what it is. Right, I'm going to stick with Lewis second, and I'll go with Fernando third. I haven't got a bit of form back, so uh, yeah, that's my top three. Sam, where have you got uh, Lando Norris on the podium this week? Where did he finish last week? It was eighth, seventh, or eighth, thank you. Fucking hell, fire from second in qualifying. Yeah, the range, it, it was a wet, then dry, then a wet race, so it caused a lot of chaos. I think, uh, was it six pit stops, Aggie? Yeah, Max uh, won Max with had... six pit stops. Broke the record. Yeah, yeah I didn't did, 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 did say that, but it's not ideal for, for him, is it? No podium, no bueno for uh, for Norris this time round. There we go, this time next week, we'll see if you're right. Um, we just give our predictions it. and Sam just tells us what he thinks Lando's going to do. Yeah, I think that's the stage that we're at now. With that's exactly Sam what happens every in. single week. So, uh, yeah. Did you watch any of the Grand Prix on Sunday, Sam? I know we, we had a few weeks of sort of talking. You sort of put your head no, through mate. the door. You end up watching a bit now. Fair all enough. football, all football, all go, all day. I think I started off with Blackburn and Watford at about yeah. 12 o'clock. And Good then, goal, that, by the way, weren't it? Yeah, uh, yeah, Blackburn. yeah, yeah, yeah. And then it was the Chef United City game. Yeah. And then after that, it was the Newcastle Liverpool game. So Sunday, all football, all day. Loved it. Fair one, mate. Fair one. But uh, yeah, we'll see where Lando and everyone else finishes this Sunday and we will review, as always, next week. Um, right, lads, time to close the show on NFL. And the big news this week is it has been the uh, it's the time of year or the time in the off-season where teams cut their uh, their squad size from 90 down to 53. Um, so I just wanted to go around the room, really. Were there any players that you were hoping would make it that didn't? And, you know, vice versa, are there, are there any players that, you know, you weren't really too sure on or you're surprised to see make the cut? So, um, Sam, I'll start with you, mate. You've mentioned a lot about how it's a young squad. It's a big season, a bit of a rebuild. Are there players that you were hoping that might be a bit exciting? Did they, did they make the cut? Or are there any that you were sad that uh, unfortunately did get cut yesterday? Just to put that in perspective, being saying that it is a young young Green Bay squad, I've seen a stat today, unbelievable stat. 48 of our 53-man roster are under the age of 28. 48 of our 53. That's absolutely ridiculous. That's big. So, yeah, futures hopefully are going to be bright in Green Bay for quite some time. Hopefully, if we can keep them players. Um, in terms of courts, no real big big news in Green Bay. Um, the day before the cuts was was due to take place, we uh, we did cut Pat O'Donnell, our punter, uh, obviously the veteran in the league now, former Bear. Um, played really well last year by, by all accounts, constantly pinning the ball back inside the 20. I didn't. I didn't actually realise that we'd we'd got a. Um, I think we've got a rookie punter on the on the roster this year, and and apparently he's been lights out in camp. So he's got the bigger leg. He can he can kick it further. So yeah, we're, we're going to roll with the uh, the cheaper option, which is the rookie. Because I think Pat would have quite a um, quite a wage for a punter. So other than that, we're rolling with a punter. So fuck knows what our, our team's going to look like this year because we've got essentially a rookie quarterback in. We've got a rookie punter in. We've got a rookie kicker in, which uh, is like a flip of a coin whether it makes a field goal a minute. So I think there's going to be a lot of eyes on Green Bay this year for all different kinds of reasons. I think every game we're going to be in is going to be a little bit dramatic. That's absolutely fair. Kemp, anyone for you, mate? Anyone that you're happy to have seen make the cut? I know you've you've had your eye, especially with us drafting now in fantasy. Um, you, you've had your eye. I think Kemp's having a couple of uh, technical issues. He, he can't quite hear me. So, Aggie, we'll move on to you, mate, with the Seattle Seahawks. Geno Smith at the wheel yet again after an impressive season last year. 
is there anyone that you're a happy to have seen made the team or b sad to have seen get cut? I think the majority of the team that we've gone with the 53 man squad that we've named already is what we expected. Um, I think we've gone for a couple of, of veterans that we've let go, which is Ben Burkirvin, uh, who was a linebacker. And I think the introduction of Bobby Wagner coming back has kind of led to that. We've got a bit more experience now back at the linebacker position. Um, and Joey Hunt, the centre that we had before as well, we've let him go. So we've got rid of a couple of veterans. We are a very young squad, probably not to the extent of what Sam is but uh, in Green Bay, but we've got a very young squad at the moment. So Or roster, shall I say, sorry for the wrong term. Very young roster, and I think it's very exciting. I'm, I'm looking forward to what's going to go on this season, especially now we've named the 53-man uh, roster, and I'm looking forward to seeing uh, just what Gino can do. But, yeah, I think I think the depth that we've gone for in certain positions is really going to help us out throughout this season. That's fair, mate. That's absolutely fair. Kemp's back with us now. So with the Giants, same question uh, that I've given to them. A, are there any players that you're happy to have seen made the team that might have been on the line? And B, are there any players that you're sad to have seen get cut? Um, sad, I think, is an overstatement, but I think um, one that I'm not quite sure of, or one that I'm quite happy to be fair, that's 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 maybe caught. I'm not sure how I feel about it, to be honest. Is James Robinson, um, undrafted free agent, um, made a splash in his rookie year with the Jags, over a thousand yards rushing, um, and then tore his ACL, I think it was, and had a bit of an up and down career since then cut by the Patriots and and then sort of on, on the back of that, we took him as maybe a bit of a risk pre-season, see what he's all about. And, and we've ended up cutting him as well, which I'm a bit surprised about. I thought he might might feature in our backfield at some point this season. But you know what? It's one of them, that's what pre-season's for, to kind of get an idea as to as to who's going to perform and who's not. And, and it's quite obvious that, that he didn't perform to the standards that were expected. So yeah, I uh, was surprised to see him cut, but apart from that, pretty standard by the looks of things. Um, and uh, as Adam said earlier, we'll, we'll touch on a little bit more Schrager's had his had uh, the Giants for his dark horse for the Super Bowl so uh, <clears throat> we must be doing something right eh? Yeah must be indeed in terms of the uh, in the Patriots I think they had probably the biggest shock when it came to cutting a player this week which was uh, the quarterback Bailey Zappi was the backup for Mac Jones last week started a couple of games won both those games as well um, and pretty much everyone around the league is very shocked to have seen him caught including myself Um He's cleared waivers. He's not been picked up as a free agent. So the rumour is now that the Patriots will pick him up and put him on the practice squad. So maybe there was some kind of method to the madness. I'm not quite sure what that was. But yeah, quite surprising, especially now with Patriots only sitting with one quarterback on the roster, which is Matt Jones. So we'll see. I'm assuming over the next few days what the plan is with that. Um, in terms of who I'm... Yeah, sadly, it's probably a bit strong, but who I'm disappointed to see cut. Malik Cunningham, the uh, the rookie quarterback that we drafted this offseason. Uh, quite dynamic in uh, in preseason, played a number of different positions. He followed on from uh, Lamar Jackson as the as the quarterback at Louisville after he got drafted. So I was hoping to see him get a spot just for that sort of that that option he can give. But he was cut yesterday. Uh, but two players I'm really happy to have seen made it uh, is two wide receivers that we drafted in the sixth round this season. The um, Mario Pop Douglas, excuse me, and Kayshawn Booty. Um, from LSU, two uh, players that I think will be great options for Matt Jones this uh, this season. So really happy to have seen them made the cut and make the team. So uh, 
yeah, that's uh, that's it for the Patriots. But uh, I don't, yeah, um, I don't think a player like uh, Lamar Jackson style quarterback, mobile quarterback, could ever ever make it in New England. New England Patriots are the Aggie of the football world. <laughs> Pure tradition. They want a white man at quarterback, six foot four prototype. They're standing in the pocket and they're fucking throwing the ball. None of that nonsense outside the pocket, and that's definitely what Aggie would bring to that team. It's funny that considering yeah, the fact that when I started following the Seahawks, it was Russell Wilson at quarterback who did the exact opposite of what you saying is my prototype yeah yeah that's uh, maybe it was just me living in a pipe dream weren't it that someday we'll we'll have a gm someday we'll have a young dynamic head coach and someday we'll we'll move into the modern era but this year ain't it um and we'll just have to wait and see when that will come but yeah it's not this year but yeah really happy that uh douglas and uh, beauty made it because i think they'll be great weapons for max this year um but that is episode 65 hold on whoa, whoa, whoa. one more whoa, one more whoa, NFL. Whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> so we have recently just done the uh the fantasy draft in, yep, uh, in the loaded yep. sport last night so i just want everyone to share who their number one pick was for their team i'm just what was the, uh, question? <clears throat> the question sorry who did you pick? Who was your number one pick for your your team? Who was the uh, first pick? It was Cooper Cup for me. Uh, controversially, Genev Ooh, because I wanted CMC, um, and I'd just come off the app. I think I, I was up and downstairs sorting something. Saw the clock at eight, so I went on, and it was like six picks in, and it, I'd also picked Cup. So a little bit livid with that because if it had been like a Tyreek Kill or someone, I'd have been happy. I, I think Rams are going to have a shit year, so not sure how that stands in terms of Cup's fantasy performance. So. Um, yeah, he was my number one pick, but I'm not happy with it. Fair enough. I went for Stefan Diggs. Equally, I wasn't too happy with it, but it was the fact that we've moved to a PPR league. So this is me, complete unknown waters. I know it's a, it's a heavy receiver-favoured league format. So I thought my first pick has always been a running back, always. But because we've moved on to PPR, I'm going to go wide receiver. And to be honest with you, I thought I stacked my my wide receiver room within my first two picks. I, my first pick was Stefan Diggs. I think I was picking around seven. I think I was about bang on halfway. So I was, I was the snake draft coming back around to me pretty quick. And then I managed to take Devontae Adams in the second round. So yeah, Diggs and Adams as a as a um, wide receiver pair in, from the start, which I was quite happy with. Either one of them could have really been a first round pick. So yeah, I was, uh, I was happy with my first two picks to be fair Aggie what did you get I just missed out on who I did want even though it's a PPR I wanted Austin Eckler but I have gone with AJ Brown who I got in the first round and I opted to try and even that out with running backs and I went for Nick Chubb in the second round I I was ninth pick so yeah it kind of came back to me pretty quickly as well so yeah AJ Brown followed by Nick Chubb which I don't think are two <coughs> bad choices to be fair where they were not bad not bad at all Ken Pete not bad, not bad at all. And then we move on to something that could be really, really bad, <laughs> <laughs> potentially. Term, I went, the term boom or bust has never but, been. Yeah, it's never been more relevant for my entire draft, I don't think. Yeah, I mean, I was in the unfortunate position of picking last, which is a, not an enviable position to be in, in my opinion. Uh, no, good place to be. Back-to-back picks, no, baby. No, yeah, but then you're waiting 20 until your next pick. So it's yeah, not but everyone is. Yeah, but I'd rather be six and then... You know what I mean? I'd yeah, rather fair. I'd rather be in the middle, but uh, but yeah, back to back picks. So by the time it got round to my pick, kind of all the big big MVPs had kind of gone off the board. So I thought, fuck it, I'll take it, I'll take a chance, and I went with Bijan Robinson, uh, rookie. Um, it, it may work out, it may not for the Atlanta Falcons. 
Uh, last year, 258 carries, 1,580 rushing yards. I get it, it's in college. Um, and, and he also had 19 receiving yards, uh, 19 re- receptions, 314 receiving yards and two touchdowns. So, who knows? It, like Sam just said there, boom or bust. But B. John Robinson was my first pick. And then straight after that, um, I think it was uh, Amon Rasent Brown. Um, Solid. Pretty much. Pretty much straight after, pretty much straight after Bijan Robinson. So, like you, Sam, I, I wanted to kind of get that. Well, I wanted to get that wide receiver room pretty stacked, but I also did kind of see Bijan there at, at number twelve and thought, yeah, fuck it, let's give him a go. So, I, I think, um, I think <clears throat> historically that Bijan pick, I think, would have been a wonderful pick at twelve if it was in the normal non PPR league. But I think because because we've moved to PPR, I'm not quite sure how that pick's going to work out. As I said, I've never played one. PPR before, so I might be. And I'm in the same scenario one. as you. I'm in the same yeah. scenario as you. Is that I'm, I'm, you know, I've sort of just got to grips with the standard, and I can't to <laughs> yeah. And now we're moving to PPR. Monday, yeah. yeah, so I'm like, ah, shit, what do I do? So yeah, I've, I've gone not not safe, but I've I've done what I thought was best. Uh, Aggie, but, um, but, Aggie but you've done a. I'm going sorry, campaign. Just before you carry on, but what's funny is um, the the third highest projected points on my team for the first week. Um, is Mr. Irrelevant, Evan Hall. No, it's projected, it's projected uh, 15.63 points for the Indianapolis Colts. That's good. So, that's good if that. that works out, that's a really good pick at the uh, at the time that I got him, but we'll see. Could be a steal, that one. Aggie, you've done a PPR league before, haven't you? I won a PPR league last year. I'm guessing you've, uh, you've got... That's what made to me. I'm guessing you've got a high opinion of it then. Yeah, I enjoy it, mate. I really do. Um, it makes me think a little bit further. I mean, I'm new. I'm newer than you guys to watching the NFL, so to me, it helped me learn a lot more about the players, the style of plays, you know, that sort of stuff, and the different sort of approaches that different coaches would take, that kind of stuff. So, I mean, you guys have watched it a lot longer, so your knowledge of it would be a lot stronger by this point, anyway. So, I enjoyed it because it helped me learn more about the game. I think um, I think the thing what's made me a lot more open to it this year than any other year is a, is I think in in real real life the devaluation of the running back. I think the fact of that, obviously, with all the the holdouts and the contracts not being willing to be given, I think it kind of goes hand in hand with the PPR league and the fact that we're going to now prioritise wide receivers too. So I, I kind of was happy to go. If it was ever going to be a year I was going to do it, it would have been this year for that reason. I think the devaluation of the running back has never been this prevalent. So yeah. Gonna give it a year, see how we get on, and um, if we don't like it, I can always go and go and find another league next year. Well, I've got you first game so. of the season as well, so for third year yeah. running. Oh, it is, isn't it? Third year, fucking yeah. hell! First year, I don't Aaron even realise. Got him two points. Second year, he got me four points. So now neither of us have got Aaron Jones. Not Aaron Jones, Aaron well, Rodgers. And well, Aaron Jones, you fucking stole him from me, a cunt. You took Walker from me as well, so we called that. Even. That was after the fact. That was after the we fact. You know, it took. You know, it took Jones at this point. I was fucking raging at that pick. And at Mudge's Young Way Koo as well. It was picking Young Way Koo here about seventh, seventh pick in. I thought, I'm going to take him because the indoor kicker is they've got a bad offense. So they're going to be taking a lot of field goals. And uh, it took him right there. And I thought, to pick before me, I thought, you bastard, but fair play. Well, um, if you don't like the PPR league, and, and it, obviously we do a vote every year and it doesn't change, we can always break off and create a loaded sport league. That's and I'm it. sure Aggie will join it and, and add it to his about 12 other leagues. That he's <laughs> I, in. Can't, I um, can't say no to a fantasy draft. Oh, mate, no, I love it. He's going to invite me into it because he knows how much I love fantasy football. Yeah, that's it. Well, we better close off, mate, because at the time of recording, you've got another draft in five minutes. So very quickly, round the room, Sam, you asked who was your first pick. I want to know who your favourite pick is very, very quickly. So probably someone at any point in the draft, but who you think 
could could have been someone early, but who you think will will have a good season? I'll kick it off, and I'm going to go yeah. with uh, Jamar Gibbs for Detroit Lions, the rookie. Got him in the third or fourth round, and and I think he's going to have a really really good season. And um, so I'm really happy with that pick. Uh, Aggie, what about you? Um, I liked my pick of Alexander Mattison, the running back for Minnesota. I got him in the sixth round, and I don't really see anybody competing with him in the running back position in Minnesota. So I'm happy with that one. I like that, and he's a good um, he's a good catching back as well. So could work in your favour even more so with the PPR league. Uh, Kempi, what about you, mate? I, I, I'm assuming you would have said DJ, but I snagged him off you uh, to your dismay. So uh, tell us who your favourite pick is. It, was it just from me or from everybody? No, it's from, from you, you mate. Just from me. <laughs> I think I think I think Evan Hall. I'm not going to lie to you. I think you're Evan getting Hall. hyped. I'm getting hyped, man. Yeah, I mean, uh, Jonathan Taylor's obviously going to miss the first, I think it's five weeks of the season, is it? Um, but but that, who yeah. knows? But who knows? It could be even longer than that. You, you just don't know what's going to happen. Uh, so Could we, find we, a trade partner. You never know, could do you? Could do. You just don't know. So I thought, you know what? Let's let's get the game on the field. And Evan Hull looks like he's going to get the most most snaps in the backfield. And uh, and yeah, I think he's going to be a really, really good uh, points grabber for me, especially in the first five weeks. And you'll take that from Mr. Irrelevant, won't you, in the uh, NFL fantasy draft. So uh, for me, I've surprised myself with the back end of the draft. And like Mudge said, um, the, the, the longer the draft went on and the fewer players there were, I started drafting better. So it's, it's yeah. interesting that that happened. But yeah, we'll we'll see. But I'm really, really excited for this year. And a bit envious that Aggie's in another draft because uh, I've got the... Uh, I've got the feeling for it. You've got so, the taste. Uh, I'm, yeah, I'm seeking out other leagues to potentially join and do more drafts. So uh, we'll see. We'll see. That's fair. Sam, what about you, mate? <laughs> just flicking through my yeah, just flicking through my team now. I've got a choice of about five that I'm really struggling with. Um, but I know knowing you, you're going to push me for one. It's just probably going to be Kenneth. Kenneth Walker, obviously Aggie's boy. I think, Aggie, correct me if I'm wrong, I think I picked him around round four or five, I think. about five, yeah. It was, it was yeah, it, it, I was surprised. Yeah, same. It kept dropping and dropping. I'm thinking, it's going to be my next one if it's still there. And lo and behold, it was, it was there. It turns out I literally just picked... Mudge and Aggie because I think the draft was coming from the snake back, uh, snake draft it was coming back to me from Kemp yeah. so I think um, because of that I managed to get him first uh, I, I, just a couple of names obviously out there Brandon Cooks as well I picked him up very very late he's, he's one of them receivers he's in Dallas now and he's one of them receivers I don't think he's ever not at a thousand yard season so he's probably the most consistent wide receiver in the league so there's him as well and there's the uh, there's the new Green Bay tight end as well the Luke, at Luke Musgrave um, yeah, I, I got Laporte the Lions new um, tight end really really late on and yeah I'm really happy with that I think he'll have a good season as well yeah, he's, I think he's going to be straight in at our starting tight end. And I, th- I don't think many people realised that. It was the, one of my very last picks. And um, by all accounts in pre-season, he's, he's so athletic. He, he runs about the same speed as a wide receiver. So, yeah, he's, he's going to give us a little bit different dynamic, especially with Jordan Love. We know historically Green Bay and Aaron Rodgers. Oh, we're verging on save it. I'm, I'm thinking, do I cut you in and say save it, mate? We've got season preview here. No, no, it's, it's not it's not a breakout or anything like that. But, um, no, uh, yeah, for fucking threw me off there. Yeah, obviously, Sorry, in, Green Bay in the past with Aaron Rodgers has never really utilised the tight end position. Uh, I think, obviously, it's a fresh start. We've got Jordan Love on the centre. We've got a new tight end rookie who looks like he could really take off. So, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm happy with that pick. That was one of my later picks, really. Yeah, definitely. So, uh, that is now episode 65 in the books. 
just to repeat and remind you um, that episode 66 will be out early next week. And that will be the NFL season preview where we'll go through our predictions for division winners, conference winners, Super Bowl winners, all the player awards happen as well, as well as our predictions for our own teams. And then episode 67 will be out at the usual time and day. Um, just all the other business latest in football, Formula One, boxing as well, of course. Um, and UFC in Kempi's Combat Corner. Uh, but let's very quickly do weekends, lads. Um, Aggie, I'll let, let you go first, mate, and then you can shoot to do your draft. What have you got planned for this weekend? Um, I'm just going to be working, I think, this weekend on Saturday. And then Sunday, I think I'm going to be, of course, preparing for the new NFL season with the final Sunday without Red Zone for a long time. Cannot wait. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, mate. Can't wait for that as well. Kempi, what have you got planned for the weekend, mate? A uh, bit of a chill one, I think, this weekend, mate, to be fair. I can't think of anything too drastic that's going to be kicking off. Like I say, last weekend we were in, we were in London uh, all weekend, so it'd be nice to have a bit of a relaxing one. Sounds good to me, mate. And Sam, what about you, mate? What you got planned this weekend? Yeah, same same sort of vein as Kemp there. Very steady. Um, I can't think of anything. I've got a feeling there's something I've got planned, but I can't quite think. I'm going to be... again. <laughs> yeah, fuck it, I don't say that. I'm uh, going to consume as much sport as possible. We've got the boxing Saturday night. Katie loves the boxing, by the way, so it's nice. Uh, Kempi loves that one. It's nice so having... Uh... End of the list and lock-in for Kempi's comeback corner. Get her in, get her in, come honestly, on, let's she, go. Yeah, she, she's a big fan, big fan of boxing. So, yeah, it's nice to settle down on a Saturday night, get get uh, get a little pudding in it. I've trained Bland well right we right well we're uh, boxing. She only likes it when donkeys fight. I trained her well. <laughs> I said, she said, are these donkeys? I said, no, six. Well, it most technically gifted boxes at world. Not interested. Not bothered. Not interested. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, you were talking about pudding. Sorry. Yeah, no, that's 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 my Saturday night normally when uh, when when we're watching boxing, getting Ben, have, have a little cuggle and get some pudding on and uh, watch two blokes kick shit out of each other. Can't beat it. Like that, mate. Like that. Got a lot of time for that. Um, yeah, that's it. Enjoy it, lads. What are you doing for your weekend, you, mate? mate? What are you doing? What are you doing? Well, You're fucking nobody asked, so I was gonna I was gonna hit stop record. I'm doing it resignation I'll just write it out there on side um, not a lot similar to Kemp was a busy weekend busy bank holiday so we've got a busy week upcoming work wise haven't we Sam so I think um, mm-hmm. I'm going to take the kids to is it Magna Manga what is it in Sheffield like a science Manga. type place Manga, Manga. Ne- Never, never, yeah, yeah, yeah. Never been before, but uh, we were looking at a couple of places. Scopes, we mangas been, Japanese. I know what it is, mate, and we're not doing that with the kids for anyone that's panicking. Um, so yeah, I'm gonna go there on the Saturday and then. Might be a takeaway Saturday night and then chill Sunday. We're going to record the NFL on Sunday, aren't we? So uh, we wait for that, for that and, and take it steady. So, yeah, I'll, uh, I'll, I'll see you all Sunday, lads. In a bit, boys. Enjoy, see you later, lads. lads.